So I'm going to uh, guide you in a meditation of about um, 40 minutes. Just like arriving here, yeah, not only the bodies here, but also the minds. And uh, so we've just done some movement and just noticing, you know, how different that feels. That it has already brought some, you know, kind of coherence by, you know, focusing on the body. And before we are going further, maybe you just can recall, you know, why you have come here today or why you are practicing your intention, your, your motivation, just remembering that. Or maybe, you know, remembering the moment when you for the first time had that uh, inkling, you know, that this is something which has value or this is something which can help you to walk in the direction, you know, which you would like to go. Just bring that into, you know, into remembrance. And then we can just start, you know, with uh, checking, you know, how are we right now? What's going on in your mind? What's uh, happening, you know, emotionally, in your heart? And how are you in your body? And it's not about judging it, but just noticing it and uh, letting it be what it is. And then allowing the mind to rest on the body just as the body rests on the cushion or on the chair. And you're noticing that you're breathing in when you're breathing in and noticing that you are breathing out when you are breathing out. And if the mind you know, has a tendency to wander off, just gently bringing it back. And the point isn't necessarily to stay with the body breathing, but it's about noticing that when the mind wanders off and then coming back. You know, that willingness to step out of these ruts of habitual patterns of distracting ourselves. Because it seems to be, you know, a bit challenging for us to just be with the simplicity of the body and the feelings <coughs> and the sensations. Just training, you know, ourselves to increase that capacity to just be with the simplicity of the direct experience of what it is, you know, to have a body 
and the energies which are moving in there and allowing that movement because life is all about movement and trauma is all about not allowing movement, freezing. So trying you know, to make the conditions happen so that movement can be encouraged. That flow of constant change, you know, and death is, is part of that flow. Birth and death. And birth and death together are life and everything in between. So death is not the opposite of life, death is just the opposite of birth. A birth of a body, a birth of a thought, a birth of a mind state, a birth of an emotion. Birth is not just like what happens you know, when a woman gives birth to a child, but there's many different kinds of birth and many different kinds of death. But what you know keeps that all together is the fact of constant change. And in the practice, you know, what we are training ourselves in is to not stand, try to stand in the way of that change. Not trying to nail things down, nail down a river, you know, which cannot be nailed down. If we try to do that, we, there's a lot of pressure created, like a dam, a lot of pressure. And that's, you know, called dukkha in the Pali canon. unsatisfactoriness, stress, sometimes is also translated as suffering. And that's not inherent in phenomena, but that's the result of clinging, of wanting things to be different than from what they are. And that's, you know, what the meditation is here for, is to more and more deeply realize that truth. The change is life and life is change. And you know, in order for the mind to be capable to really observe and realize that, it needs to be refined. And meditation is the process in us with that refinement can be encouraged and you know it all starts very simply from uh, you know stepping out of habitual patterns of thinking and coming back to the simplicity of the direct experience and through that you know the mind necessarily becomes refined paying attention to certain features of experience we usually don't pay attention to because we are just entertaining ourselves in uh, the cognitive we are just you know getting caught up in stories about things 
And the meditation asks us to just let go of those stories and come back again and again to the direct experience, which can be, you know, for the person who hasn't developed the skill quite well yet, it, it can be just boring, you know, because we think there's nothing going on. There's a lot going on. But if the mind is still very coarse and dependent on patterns of entertainment, then it doesn't have the sensitivity to, to really see the depths of the present moment. And through meditation we want to train that. And, you know, one way of describing that inside of the early Buddhist teaching would be the seven factors of awakening, the Bodhichanga. We are honing those seven qualities. And that's, you know, seven qualities which are like innate qualities of the mind. And through the practice they're going to get perfected, you know, ever more brought to flowering. They're like buds in the beginning and then through the practice they, they get encouraged and they get honed get sharpened and then they start to kind of blossom and through that blossoming of those seven factors of awakening we are more and more capable to really be in relationship with our experience you know our own experience in the body emotionally and so on but also you know with the our world, our planet, other people, you know, with global issues, everything. So this, you know, honing of those seven factors of awakening is very, very central to the Buddhist teaching. And the perfection of the seven factors of awakening will automatically you know, lead to awakening, full awakening. full awakening to the way things truly are. So it's not, you know, going somewhere else, going to Nirvana or somewhere. No, it's it's just fully awakening to what's happening here and now and that is Nirvana. That is the aim. That's why we are practicing. To be in, you know, total relationship with life. And reflecting on death from time to time can give us that sense of urgency. It's called Samvega in the Pali canon. Gives us that sense of urgency that it is really a good thing, you know, to step out of these habitual patterns and come back and hone those seven factors of awakening. Because the reflection on death, you know, makes us clear that we don't know when we're going to die. It could be today. It could be. It could be, in a moment. So it's like the cutting edge of practice, and then a cutting edge of impermanence.
And if we are reflecting, you know, on death from time to time or frequently, it can make us more alive. Because it completes the cycle, you know, birth and death. They both belongs together. And then if that cycle is, you know, really kind of completed, then there is that energy can flow. It can stay in flow and then that feels enriching really. We just feel more alive. You know, death is not a failure. Death is not that we have done something right. Death is just part of life. We don't need to fight against it. We can just include it. Death is simply the beginning of something else. It's not the end. It's the end of something, yes, but then also at the same time the beginning of something new. Just like, you know, in the fall when the leaves fall down from the trees and then they rot into the ground and they become nourishment for the tree and then in the spring the tree comes up with new leaves. a constant recycling a process a very fluid process and through the meditation practice we want to you know encourage that fluidity by you know being willing to sit through the unpleasant experience of unfreezing and allowing that fluidity to return. Because, you know, trying to freeze the river costs a lot of energy, the freezing itself, like the freezing you need to put into the refrigerator in order the electricity to freeze. And then all of the energy which is locked up in that ice block. So there's a lot of energy which gets freed up if we are willing, you know, to go through that sometimes difficult and painful experience of not distracting ourselves and getting used to the energetic body and the mystery of what's going on there. And then we tend to always, you know, split off into the head and, and sinking, 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 sinking because it's kind of scary to come down into the body. And 
just for the beginning, just noticing that. This is just a habit. It can't be deconditioned, it can't be given up, it can't be retrained. So when the mind wanders off, then in a good way to investigate that is to to see, you know, what was the feeling tone when the mind wandered off? Was it pleasant or, or rather unpleasant? And if it was pleasant, you know, it, it most likely has something to do with uh, greed. And if it was unpleasant, probably something to do with ill will or aversion. And so the mind wants to be somewhere else, doesn't want to be in the present moment, want to have more pleasant feeling or more unpleasant feeling. But rather, you know, trying to, uh, not wanting more unpleasant feeling, but distracting itself, you know, standing against it. So having, you know, following its preferences, which is not a surprise, but we can notice that. That the mind is mainly concerned with, you know, running after more pleasant feeling and escaping from unpleasant feeling. The untrained mind is like that. But through you know, refining our capacity for mindfulness and awareness, we start to see that. And, you know, we want to not follow that very superficial um, division, you know, between pleasant and unpleasant. Because that's not what life is all about, about having more pleasant and less unpleasant. There's much more depth to life than that. And sometimes, you know, unpleasant things can be very wholesome. Like, you know, going to the dentist when you're having a difficult tooth, it's much better to go to the dentist and have it removed, which might be scary, than not, you know, because that could, you know, poison the whole body. So to make decisions based on pleasant and unpleasant isn't really taking us anywhere other than, you know, keeping us bound, keeping us spinning in circles, keeping us locked into samsara. So if we want to really understand more about life, we want to step out of that constant running after that hamster wheel. We need to 
change our priorities. We don't need to be hooked on pleasant and unpleasant. We need to go deeper. And in order you know, to be able to go deeper, we need to hone those seven factors of awakening. Because that's the qualities you know, which penetrate deeper. And you know, by paying attention to the body breathing, for example, you know, by bringing our mind into the present moment and turning it towards that experience, we already have the first factor of awakening, present and active, that's mindfulness, sati. And by taking an interest in our experience, you know, looking at the body breathing, how is it? Is it long or short? Just simply taking an interest in our experience, that's already the second factor of awakening, which is interest or investigation of Dhammas, it's also called. That's the Pali word Dhamma Vichaya. So very natural qualities you know, which we need even, you know, to put a key in a keyhole. We need to, you know, come to the present moment and have the intention, the interest to do that. And then if we really stay with our experience, that brings up the next factor of awakening, which is energy or virya. You know, if we pay attention... If there is interest, then energy follows, you know, to stay with it. Sati, Dhammavichaya and Virya. And then through this application of energy, you know, the process is going to smoothen out to a certain extent and then there is a sense of uh, maybe contentment or lightness, subtle joy, that's the fourth factor of awakening, pity in Pali. a sense of enrichment through being in relationship with our experience. And if the man feels enriched, you know, through being in relationship, 
So there's a certain coherence and a real embodiment of the practice, then the whole system starts to calm down. That's the fourth factor of awakening. The next one, which is Pasadi. Sorry, that's the fifth one, Pasadi. So mindfulness, interest, energy, subtle joy or contentment, and then calming down. And then you know, if the system gets more calm, the fragmentation disappears, then we come to like uh, collectedness, stability of the mind, and the Pali word is Samadhi for that. So when the mind can really stay with the experience as is, it no longer needs to split off, you know, into the cognitive and thinking about stories. So it's more an embodied knowing, a direct knowing, and not a thinking about it. And then the last of the seven factors is Upeka. Which is a balance, equanimity. And it's like equanimity towards our own mind states, towards our own experience. Like ABC, a bigger container, being able you know, to allow whatever happens in the system, feeling tones, thoughts, emotions, bodily sensations, just to be able to allow them to be what they are, not interfering, just allowing it to unwind, allowing it to be the flow it is.
So, you know, those seven factors of awakening is one way how mind training can be explained, you know, what's the point, what are the qualities which are trained. And in the Buddhist teaching there's lots of lists, you know, because it was passed down orally for about 500 years, and that list of the seven factors of awakening is a very central list. It sensitizes the mind more and more. And through the sensitizing of the mind, the mind is capable of relating to experience in a deeper and deeper way. And through the depths, you know, in the depths, the revealing the interconnectedness of everything. the dependent uh, arising. Or the, you know, the fact that all things are empty of an unchanging nature, they are all conditionally arisen and they are in constant flux <coughs> and that what we call death is just a transformation when we look under the surface of it because the body you know doesn't disappear from the earth the body goes back to the elements and then you know the elements reshape into something different, a different form. And the mind as long as it is not liberated from all uh, greed, hatred and delusion it will take on another body, will inform another form. Until that form falls apart and then another one. And we call that death. In the human realm, if we are only on the surface, looks like something you know what it is also, but not only that. It's much more than that. And this kind of meditation, you know, helps us to see different dimensions. And then if we see those dimensions, some of the despair and the fear starts to melt away.
because we are not taking it personal any longer, because it isn't personal, or only to a very small extent. It's like, you know, if we are hooked on the tip of the iceberg and not seeing the 90% which are under the water surface, then once we see that, there's a sense of relief. A sense of belonging to something much bigger than what we thought. You know, with the mind which always operates in terms of uh, yes and no, good and bad, and all of that. It's not like that. There's is much, much deeper, much, much more mysterious than that. And the practitioner supports us to recognize that, which can be hardly put into words, but it can be known with the heart. It's an intuitive knowing, which isn't cognitive. Coming back to the body breathing. And the breath in you know, being a symbol of impermanence, constant change and constant exchange. Then, you know, I want to end the meditation with a poem by a friend of ours called Medi Weingast. And he has been uh, writing a series of 
um, poems which were inspired by the awakening poems of the first uh, Buddhist nuns who lived around the time of the Buddha. And he took those original poems which are called the Terigata and are part of the Pali Canon and you know, allowed himself to be inspired and made some contemporary interpretations of those poems. And there's one which really fits very well for today. And it goes like this. Sailor the Rock Long after the front gate swung closed behind me, I could still hear them. Why talk so much about death? Find a husband to share your bed. Bring children into the world to leave behind after you have gone. But ever since I invited my own death into bed with me, I no longer feel lonely or afraid of the dark. What do we really bring into the world? What do we leave behind? A gate swings closed, then opens. Where does it come from? Where does it all go? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.